What really matters most? We'll talk about that on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact checking and corrections are encouraged. This episode is brought to you by Funwise Capital. Funwise Capital is a business lender matching platform. Avoid the mystery of one-sided deals and connect with FunWise to get the very best funding you can qualify for fast. You can apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get. It's easy. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. You did hear me correctly. I did say start or grow your business. If you don't have a business yet, but you got a solid business plan, they can help you get funding. Get the best funding you can qualify for. Their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months. Unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, and bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups like I already mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, it's really easy. Just go to apply.funwise.com slash minddog. That's apply.funwise.com slash minddog. Get money for your business now. Apply.funwise.com slash minddog. I guess so. And welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, and Happy New Year. And that will be the last time I say that this year. I got into a, a conversation with uh, my friend Janet. I guess they said, how long do we have to keep saying Happy New Year? But this is our first evening program of 2023. So one more time was uh, necessary. But I'm done. I'm done until 2024. If I'm still around in 2024, I will be saying Happy New Year again. Um, as you know, or you may not know, it's been a month after not taking any time off for four and a half years, I've taken a vacation and a month-long vacation from this program. I missed it a little, but you probably know that I'm cutting back severely the number of evening shows uh, we'll, we'll be doing and uh, be doing them only on Wednesday night, except for rare exceptions like tonight. And you might say, well, why are you starting off with an exception? Uh, I felt like this uh, program tonight is a very important subject. I did not want to wait until, I think, March, the second March, Wednesday in March, uh, when we when we have a, finally have an opening on the evening program. So I thought we'd take care of it tonight. Um, do you remember high school? I don't remember much about high school. I remember I partied too much and didn't care enough about what was really most important. I remember saying, uh, what are we learning this stuff for? Are we ever going to use this stuff in our real life? And, of course, there are skills you learn. Reading, writing, arithmetic, history, and science, all good things. But there was a lot of stuff that was um, not necessary for my life. I haven't used calculus since high school. 
Uh, but I did not learn the things that were most important. And I'm not sure if it was because it wasn't presented to me or because I was just too thick-headed. Things like emotional intelligence, financial intelligence, they're surely missing from what young people are learning in school today. And my guest tonight is doing something about that, which is why I thought this was a really important uh, message to discuss tonight and a really important topic. So uh, without further ado, Joe Bochamp is a leadership trainer and coach who has developed a program called What Matters Most. It's about teaching young people what matters most in their lives. And he's here now, ladies and gentlemen. Please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Joe Bochamp to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Joe, welcome. Well, thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate the uh, welcome being here, the warm welcome and the great introduction. So thank you so much for uh, having me on your show today. Appreciate you being here. I also want to tell you uh, Happy New Year once again. I have seen you since the beginning of the the, uh, new year, but... um, (laughs) Uh, uh, your listeners, do- your listeners have never met me, and so this is my first time seeing them. I believe that you can tell someone Happy New Year as long as it's the first time that you're seeing them in the new year. Well, that's uh, what my friend Janet said. But I said, "What if I? If it's July. Would you still say Happy Happy New Year if I don't?" See I would. It? I would do it. You would. Okay, Matt. I'm just going to tell you. Listen, you roll. You be you. Okay, I'm going. You to. be you. Obviously. Yep. Um, well, good. So now I, I do appreciate what you're doing. I think it's a great thing. And I, people who know me know I'm really a negative person at, at my core. I don't have a lot of faith, but I have a lot of hope. And I hope that what you're doing is making a difference. So why don't we start before we talk about uh, what what matters most is. Let's uh, introduce you to my, my audience. Tell us a little bit about yourself because I did not give them uh, a a robust picture of your experience and how you got to where you are now. Awesome. So grew up on Long Island. Um, My name is Joe Beauchamp. I am a leadership development coach, trainer, and speaker uh, certified through the John Maxwell team, largest coaching organization in the world. Uh, We specialize in leadership, coaching, and training. Started off my career in business, uh, working for one of the major uh, top fortune Fortune top 20 companies in the world and uh, was in corporate in the corporate world for quite a few years, decided that I wanted to do something more meaningful with my life, became a high school science teacher, uh, did that for quite a number of years, realized that um, while that was awesome and I loved teaching students and inspiring young minds, that uh, it really wasn't everything that um, I wanted, that I knew that it was really my calling in life. And so I started doing what I do now, which is this training and coaching, helping people to really find their true purpose in their lives, what they believe that they're here for, and equipping them with all of the skills and strategies on how to accomplish those purposes that they have for their lives. So um, how to be better in their relationships, how to be better in their workplace, how to be better in their personal health, you know, their emotional state. And so what I'm finding is that I'm doing a lot of this training and coaching for adults who are 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and they're telling me that this is stuff that they've never heard of before, this is new to them, or they've had some inkling of it, they had some idea of it, or they've been seeing it for years, but never quite fully grasping it as clearly as as, uh, as I'm able to present it to them. <clears throat> and I'm realizing that a lot of this material could have been taught to students in school. 
You know, so why is somebody waiting until they're 60 to find out about how to manage their emotional state or how to improve their relationships or how to understand other people when we can teach it to somebody who's 15 years old and save them, you know, a lifetime of bumps and bruises along the way, failed relationships, you know, failed jobs, low self-esteem, possibly drug addictions, possibly crime, um, you know, all kinds of calamity that we know that kind of comes through life. Um, I appreciate uh, that. Now, for working with kids, as, because you, you talk about uh, why, you know, why didn't we learn this when we were younger? I believe I started trying to explore these things in my late 20s. I'm now, I'm in my 64th year. Uh, still haven't grasped a, a lot of this stuff. So when, when my negativity, negativity comes in and where my lack of faith comes in, I know I was not ready for this kind of a discussion as a 15, 16, 17-year-old because, you know, what mattered most to me at that time was my (laughs) friends, the social circles, finding a girlfriend, things like that. So it's a hard discussion to have about what really matters most with teenagers, yes or no? You know, I think they're ready in varying degrees, but as a culture here in the United States, we don't really talk too much about it. You know, if I want to get on social media and I want to rant about something that I'm angry about and I want to insult people, people are going to like it. They're going to share it. They're going to be like, oh, check this guy out. He's on fire. You know, I could curse at people. I could, you know, every kind of negative thing. Um, and that's and that would be acceptable in the culture. People are like, all right. Yeah, he's he's on fire. This person did something wrong. And and this guy, Joe Bochamp, he's you know, he's attacking. He's giving him exactly what he deserves. Right. But we don't have a culture that says, you know what? Hey, listen. You know, he's human too. You know, like how often do you hear um, in politics that the opponent, the opposite party is full of a bunch of wise, intelligent, hardworking, caring people who actually want to help the United States of America or our city, town, country, state or whatever it is to be better. But we just different opinions. I have never, ever heard anybody say that uh, other than, you know, in closed circles. I've never heard, heard it on television. I've never heard it um, at a debate, any kind of political gathering. I never hear that stuff. I don't hear, uh, either side of the aisle praising the other side of the aisle. And listen, there's good Americans who believe one way and there's good Americans who believe the other way. Yeah. I would say, I, I would say you're absolutely right that it's an extreme rarity. And I would also say that the people who have said that on rare occasions, did not win and and so they <laughs> fade, they faded into obscurity and you never heard from them again but you're absolutely right we need more of that and you know what i've heard that in discussions on podcasts from comedians who talk about politics saying that uh we have to stop thinking that that each other are evil at the core we just have different opinions on on how to get to the same kind of solution but i think at the end of the day we all really want the same thing so let's talk about what those things that we want are well what is really important what is most important well so my students would ask me mr bochamp when am i ever going to need to to know this you know and i'm teaching them chemistry or biology um and look i just want to say that our school teachers are doing a great job. Like they are doing the hard work. They care for our students. I just want to honor school teachers. You know, like 
when there's a school shooting, it's the school teachers who are jumping in front of the, the students to catch the bullets themselves. You know, so our teachers have a very difficult job and they're doing they're doing a really fantastic job, you know, trying to serve our kids. Um, it's not easy in the school system today. So it's not like I want to bash school teachers or the school system. But the amount of times that I need to use algebra, trigonometry, biology, chemistry, physics, and trust me, like I use that stuff fairly regularly, probably more frequently than most people. Um, but it pales in comparison to how I need to use communication skills, how I need to use relationship skills, how I need to understand my wife and my responsibilities as a husband and, and how do I interact with my wife in a, in a way that's, that builds her up and, and cares for her. How do I interact with my own children? You know, that's stuff that I deal with that's super important in my life. I deal with it day in and day out. Um, and that was severely, severely lacking in my school education from, you know, from kindergarten all the way up, even through college, higher education, master's degrees, um, never, never addressed any of that stuff. Um, emotional intelligence, um, not, not present. The, the idea that I can manage my emotions, that I don't have to get angry when somebody else is being rude or disrespectful. Um, that's kind of foreign. It's a foreign concept here in America to, to just kind of think that when somebody's speaking angry, rude, or, or offensive words to me, that I don't have to be affected by it. That's, it didn't come out of my mouth. It came out of the other person's mouth. So why should it bother me? You know, but that's foreign to, to most people here today. Um, but it's an easy skill that can be, that our kids can learn this in schools. They can be trained in it. And, um, and look, you know, to kind of take a little bit of a more severe turn, you know, our kids in school, they're dealing with a lot of crisis. They deal with pain and, and frustration and struggle um, in their world. And as a result, we see, we see thousands of kids that are attempting suicide and committing suicide, trying drugs, overdosing on drugs, getting addicted to drugs, doing criminal activities in order to support drug habits. Um, we see thousands of kids committing acts of violence against other kids in school and outside of school. You know, it makes the news when somebody goes into a school and shoots up a bunch of kids and those are tragic events, but there's kids committing violence against other kids at an, at an alarming rate throughout this country. And I believe that a lot of that is, is an inability to manage the stress, the pressures, the trials, the difficulties in life that we just never prepared our students to, to, uh, to cope with. So those are kind of things that I would like to bring into the school district with what matters most. Gotcha. Uh, it seems like, and, and I don't know if it's a chicken or egg type of thing, but I'm old and I was never taught these, these skills and uh, the generation behind me, I don't think they were ever taught these skills either. And the generation behind me, I guess, Gen X or, or millennials are school teachers of today. So if they were not taught these skills, first uh it's hard to teach it to to the next generation right or so you have do you have to start with the teachers first uh actually no it starts with, it really should start with the administration first right so uh -huh. leadership always starts from the top down if you want to make a change the best way to do it is to start at the top down but uh look what matters most can actually affect the school at every level you know we can do the training for school administrators we can do the training for school teachers 
there's training for students and there's training for parents. You know, so so we're hitting the community, we're hitting the parents, we're hitting the students, we're hitting teachers, we're hitting administrators, and hopefully everybody can grow through the process together. Um, and that from the top down, um, these changes will be implemented so that everybody has a language, has a way of expressing, has a culture of emotional intelligence, caring, compassion, uh, listening, understanding other people, um, treating people with value. That is, that's <clears throat> a, an important thing. And I want to come back to this, all, all those things you just mentioned, empathy, things like that, because I'm not sure if at the family level, at the parental level that we are uh, passing that. It seems to be lost. Uh, and I don't want to blame young people for that. But I want to start with, and this kind of relates to that, start with um, today on social media, on Twitter, Mr. Beast. Are you familiar with Mr. Beast? I'm sorry. I think I've heard the name, but I've never seen He's a YouTube YouTuber. He's 26, 25, 26 years old and a multi, 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 multi-millionaire, like hundreds of millions of dollars. And he makes his fortune and started in junior high school as a YouTuber, uh, giving away money. And he tweeted out to th- this morning that he, he wanted to be a billionaire and uh, create all this wealth for, for himself. And he, he definitely, he has an idea about, um, you know, giving money away and, 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 and helping people. But it, he also is in love with the idea of wealth. A comedian I know, who uh, saw that tweet, just got all, you know, based back to this idea of ready to flame people, it was just like all over him. And I wanted to chime in. I did not chime in. But I wanted to say these are the values young people are, are taught is that becoming rich for the sake of becoming rich is a value that our culture, because you mentioned the word culture, uh, as a, a country, and not just a school culture or a family culture, as a country, our culture is so fixated on the wrong things like a wealth for wealth sake fame for fame's sake without wanting to add value to the world how do we turn that around or do you not care about that you want to focus on one child at a time one life at a time and try to build it that way because that seemed like a tough tough task yeah so culture whether it be the culture of a country the culture of a community the culture of a business the culture of a family is kind of like a river and that river flows in a direction. And if you've ever jumped into a fast moving river, you can swim north, south, east, or west, you're gonna end up downstream. So it's very important for us to, to create the right culture that's flowing in the right direction. So do I wanna help one student at a time? Absolutely. Do I wanna help an entire culture? Absolutely. Because it's, it's changing the culture, turning the culture, the, the direction of that river into a healthier, direction that's really going to help the most number of people. So, you know, look, our parents today, uh, parents of kids today, they're dealing with, you've got two income families, like both parents have to go out and work because it's very difficult to pay the bills. Um, the divorce rate is, is like half the families are divorced. So you have single family homes. Um, how do you raise kids when you're the only parent at home and you're not even at home because you have to be out at work trying to raise your kids? So it's very challenging for parents. And the parents today are our students from 20, 30 years ago. So we didn't teach it to them back then. We didn't teach them relationship skills back then. We didn't teach them 
uh, how to raise kids back then. So, you know, it's very easy to blame parents and say, well, if the parents only just did a better job when they were in, you know, when they were parenting their kids, the kids would be better kids and they'd be better in school. Look, it's tough being a parent. You know it. I know it. And um, it's it's not easy, especially in this culture today. And um, and so we got to affect however we can. We're going to help the parents to be better, more understanding parents. We're going to help the students to be better emotionally in their control, be able to communicate better, be able to know who they are better, helping students to find out their purpose in life, that they themselves have value and that other people have value as well. So these are all the skills that we're going to build into our students, into our families, into administrators, into teachers, into the community to create this community culture, a community awareness uh, and a community system of how do we interact with one another in a healthy, loving, uh, in a healthy, loving, kind way that builds each other up instead of trying to tear each other down? Great. It's a great vision. Again, you know, uh, people who know me know I, I, I hope you're right. And I, I wish you all best. I don't think I'm going to be around to see the, the world that you're creating, but uh, I, I do want, I do want you to be successful in that. I just, I'm very, I don't have a lot of faith. I'm a man whose faith has been beaten into the ground by humanity and what I see going on in the world. So if I sound negative now, I just want to uh, just back up a little bit and say, I don't want to blame parents. I don't want to blame anybody. I think blame is a really uh, unconstructive, unconstructive uh, thought process. But I do want to understand because we talk about we didn't teach uh, the generations that is now the teachers, they weren't taught these skills, but my grandparents weren't taught these skills. Is this something, it seems like families taught, were, were closer and the world was simpler. So it has this something, the need for these skills, is this something new or or were they always there and I just didn't know it, I guess is the question. They were, yeah, you know, like I bet you if you, if you talk to your grandparents, you know, they had a level of emotional self-sufficiency, this um, this emotional awareness and emotional strength that we just don't really have today. You know, I remember like, you know, grandparents being like, okay, that's, you know, that's kind of the way it is. You know, even my dad being like, all right, this is, it's just like this. You just have to go and do it. You know, um, not that we're suppressing our emotions or, or denying them or whatever, but we're just kind of, you know, at times like life's got to be lived. Life's got to get done. There will be painful times coming up. There'll be difficulties. You know, think about families, you know, during World War One and World War II, where, where significant portions of the population were just killed in war. And they had to keep moving. They had to make society, they had to rebuild society back again after that. They didn't, they didn't sit home and, uh, you know, and, and sulk about it to the point where they couldn't make anything happen. So did they mourn? Did they cry? Did they feel the pain? Absolutely. Did they move forward? Did they make a difference? Absolutely. So, you know, these are skills that can be taught. They, they should be taught. We need them. The world is a, is a challenging, difficult place to be in. Um, and if we set our kids up to believe that everything's supposed to be cushy and smooth and easy, uh, when difficulty comes, they're going to have a problem with that. Right. So they're not coping. They're not coping well with the pain of life and they're turning to drugs, suicide and violence um, as their answers to that. Or they're just checking out. Um, you know, but one way or another, they're not in large part, a lot of kids are not able to cope with this kind of stuff. Gotcha. Uh, now you talk about learning these skills. Can empathy be taught? 
Absolutely. So it, some, some of these things are taught and some of these things are caught, right? So I can, I can go in front of a classroom and I can teach students how to be empathetic, right? But then when, when somebody comes into class and needs me to be empathetic, that's when it's time for me to, to bring that skill out of myself and to show empathy towards that student. And when I show care, compassion, empathy to others and they see that, they experience that, that makes a change in them. So they're going to catch the culture, right? So it's not just teaching people. If it was all about teaching, you know, we would all be, we'd all be perfectly fine. There's lots of information out there. It's not about information. It's about transformation. So we have to be, you know, we've got to be inspirational. We've got to connect with people. We've got to demonstrate it in our own lives. It's not academic. It's, it's, it's live day-to-day, moment-to-moment, demonstrating these skills that that other people can see and catch and adopt into their lives don't uh read anything like uh too much into this question but when i was young in high school the teachers i that resonated their their messaging whatever that was that resonated with me were young i i went to high school in the early 70s and so teachers with long hair, they look like they look like my generation. I, I, I resonated or they resonated with me and I, I, I had rapport with them as can somebody like older like yourself or, or uh, somebody 40s or, or, or early 50s or so. Can they get through to the younger generation? Because they couldn't in my day. I would tune out anytime. Somebody your age would talk to me when I was 15 or 16 years old. Like, this person can't possibly know my world and just tune out. How do you get through the age, ageism? Yeah. So I think, you know, there's validity to that. So I'm 51. um, And uh, I think getting real with students, treating them with respect. You know, if I fix myself, I can be somebody that this young person, and I don't have to be like a kid. Like I don't have to compromise who I am in order to get some 15 year old to like me. Um, thankfully I have that emotional level of not needing validation from anyone else. Um, <clears throat> so me being me confident in who I am and, and, and solid in who I am as a person, knowing who I am and knowing my purpose, I think that students will look at it and say, you know what, there's something shaky about us, but there's something solid about this Beauchamp dude, you know? So, and like, honestly, like I've had students in class, like Mr. Beauchamp, if, a, if somebody treats me with disrespect, I'm going to disrespect them. And I say, listen, you disrespect people because you've chosen that that's the kind of person that you're going to be. It has nothing to do with the other person. It has to do with you. If you choose to be respectful, you can choose to be respectful no matter what regardless of what the other circumstances, regardless of what the other person says or does to you, you can choose to be that person who is respectful. And that's you. If you have to be somebody who's blown around by what other people say or do, then you'll always be blown around, you know, and the students are like, you know what, that makes sense. So listen, you don't have to connect with me. I'm 51 years old. We're not going to go hang out after school. (laughs) I get that. But, uh, (laughs) but I think when they, when they hear something solid, they want it. They want to know, they want to know. And there's no, there's no such thing as when am I ever going to use this? Yeah. You're going to use this every day of your life. You're going to use this in your relationships. You're going to use this in parenting. You're going to use this right now because kids' lives right now are not easy. 
you know, when their parents are getting divorced, trouble in the household, a brother is missing or a sister is, uh, you know, pregnant or, you know, somebody in the family's on drugs or somebody's in jail or stuff like that. You know, these kids are dealing with a lot of things, you know, people with illnesses, chronic illnesses, fatal illnesses. Our kids are dealing with a lot of stress, even if it's just the stress of, hey, what am I going to do with my life? Uh, should I go to college? Are my grades good enough? You know, is this report ever going to get done in time or whatever kind of stuff? Kids are under a lot of stress. We look at it as a parent and we're like, oh, you have no idea what stress is really like. But no, it, to them, that's a real deep, hard level of stress. And these skills will help students in the here and now and easily applicable in every area of their lives. Interesting stuff here. Now, uh I, I agree what you you don't uh, and because I, I say this on my morning show all, all the time. I don't need for everybody to like me, especially, uh, you know, in, in a teacher student situation. It, it's not about that. It's about respect and all that. And but respect is a two way street. But don't they need to like you? Even you don't need them to like you, but don't they need to like you in order to to want to want to hear what you say or even be open to what you say? I think it definitely helps. You know, students would often say, all right, Mr. Bochamp, I'll do your homework. And I'm like, okay, do my homework, right? So if you think that because you like me, that you'll do your homework in order to make me happy, that's great. At least you're doing your homework and you're learning, you know? <laughs> so I would like them to get to the point where they're saying, you know what, whether I like you or whether I hate you, I'm doing my homework because it's good for me, right? And so we'd all love our kids to be at that point. It's not a pipe dream. It can happen. We just have to deliberately teach them how to do it, why to do it, when to do it, what strategy to use, and then model it and put it as part of our daily lives, put it as part of our own culture. Um, I've seen I've seen teachers cry over the way that students have taught, uh, the way students have treated the teacher um, after class, after school, literally breaking down, crying, teachers quitting because they just can't handle the stress from the students. Um, I've seen teachers in front of administrators, you know, like, like angry and upset because some student, some 15 year old kid in the class is just acting so out of control and obnoxious or cursing out the teacher or all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I've seen teachers like lose their own self-control, not necessarily flipping out on a kid, but just like being angry and frustrated as opposed to being like, okay, this is just par for the course. I just, this is how it rolls. You're a 15 year old kid. Of course, you're going to you know, say rude and obnoxious things. Sometimes you're a kid, that's your job. You know, I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm a professional and this is my job. This is how we handle it. Right. So, um, you know, I've seen administrators be angry at teachers and, and, and teachers be angry at other teachers. And, you know, like it's a lot of areas where we could all grow and mature and develop in our own emotional intelligence. And it's not, it's not an insult. Listen, I teach business professionals, multimillionaires who have, who have been super successful in business and I'm still teaching them in their fifties and sixties and, and, you know, in 40s, forties, fifties, sixties, teaching people how to uh, grow in their skills of emotional intelligence, communication, empathy, uh, compassion, understanding of other people, self-control, motivation, um, all the, all the soft skills, leadership, all of those things. And, um, and we know that, you know, people lack these skills. They need these skills. They're super essential for success. And we might as you know, the younger the age that we can, that we can help our students and our kids to develop these skills, the better off they're going to be, the better off we're all going to be.
All right. I want to uh, talk to you about things I know you know about because you teach this stuff. But uh, the two, it's like a two-part question. It's the, first of all, you teach developing good habits. And developing good habits requires some sense of follow-through, some accountability, whether it's self-accountability or having somebody else keep you accountable. And these are the things you teach. But with students, or and with students, so to be, you know, uh, neuro-linguistic about it, and with students, they, they're in your influence, they're in their parents' influence for so many hours a day, but then they are surrounded in their other time of their day, and their days are longer when you're a teenager, <laughs> by bad influences that don't support those good habits. How do you stay, first of all, encouraged and motivated that to make the change that you in the world that you want to make and deal with the frustrations of you can only you only have that much that much access to them and then the rest of the time they spend undoing the good habits that you're helping them gain how, how do you how do you deal with that so uh it's got to be rough for students today like you know back in our day Matt, like when we grew up, there was no, um, there was really no access to the internet. Uh, we didn't carry around smartphones. You know, the phone had a, my phone when I was a kid, so you saw it, a, right? It was a rotary phone. Um, you know, push button phones were new, the, the dual tone, you know, push buttons and stuff. So there's so many distractions, so many addictions, right? All social media is addicting. They all get this little dopamine burst and um, social media companies create this stuff in order to, to get that, um, to get that addiction that, that let's scroll a little bit more. Like you could literally scroll endlessly on multiple platforms of social media um, nonstop for hours. And it's a, it's what we call, it's what uh, they call a, um, uh, it's a, I'm sorry, I forget the name of it, but it's a, um, a random schedule of reinforcement, right? So, right, yeah. so that random schedule of reinforcement is addicting. They get, you know, I scroll through five pictures of stuff that's a waste of time until I get to a cat or a dog or a funny picture or a funny person saying something or somebody, you know, wearing hardly any clothes or whatever kind of thing or whatever comes up on social media that might create a little bit of a dopamine burst in my brain. Right. And so then there's more scrolling of things that are useless and waste of time or whatever. And then a little while later, there's somebody who's, you know, got a funny joke or something that's from TV or something interesting, a painting, a picture, or another cat or something. Right. So all these things create little dopamine bursts in our brain. And it's a random schedule of reinforcement, which creates addiction, you know, just like pulling a slot machine, you know, you put in the quarter, pull the machine and, you know, every now and then you might win something. We know overall we're going to lose money, you know, and we know that with social media overall, it's going to waste time, um, but it gets addicting. So, you know, we didn't have to deal with that when we were younger. We only had to deal with it really in our adult lives. I don't really understand how kids can cannot end up getting addicted to this stuff. Video games that are addicting. You can play the game on your phone. You can play with people from around the world. People play video games like day and night, you know. For us, there was only so many times you can pong, you know, that pong, you know, <laughs> that pong game. There's only so many times you can yeah, right. bounce that little white dot back and forth on the screen. But today, these video games are super complex. You take hours and hours and hours just to try to level up in that game. Um, and so kids are wasting lots of time on these things. Um, and so it's a matter of getting getting to make them 
aware of what they're doing and get them to, to try to make good choices so that they can overcome those addictions. It's really, you know, it's really kind of addiction treatment. I agree with everything you just said. Uh, the question is really, how do you stay motivated and not get frustrated and feel defeated when basically what we're looking at is a game that's stacked against you in trying to make the world a better place as you every time you take a step forward in in trying to make the world a better place the evil forces of the world i hate to say that because it's, uh, it's okay. good and evil but it feels like it, the game is stacked against you doesn't it um you know, it definitely feels like there's a huge army on both sides of if, if we just call it good and evil, this, you know, this good and evil playing field, which is really just listen, it's just people being people. Um, I don't really see anybody as as being purely evil. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, two things. Number one is and this is one of the things that we that we help kids to understand, help our people, our clients to understand is is purpose. Right. When somebody can embrace their life purpose, their why it's something to get up about every day, right? It's something to face the obstacles. If you have a strong purpose in your life, you're going to overcome whatever's coming in front of you. Okay. And that's, and that's for me, I keep going. I'm not going to get knocked down. You knock me down. I'm going to get back up again. It's okay. You know, the troubles in life, people can hate me. I can, you know, this, this podcast might end up with, uh, you know, a bunch of hate mail or whatever. It's okay. We're going to keep rolling forward, you know? Um, so, because I, I'm aware of my higher purpose in life. Like I know that my life exists for a reason and I'm here to fulfill that reason. If I can help young people to discover their purpose, it's so much focuses life. It's so much like, why do I want to play this video game when I have something meaningful to do with my life? Why do I want to scroll through social media endlessly for hours when I have something worthwhile to do with my life? Why do I want to be doing drugs or having sex or watching pornography or, or hanging out with friends or committing crime or, or just doing nothing or whatever the kind of thing is that, that people do to these days? You know, why do I want to do any of that stuff if I have something really important to do with my life? People who will make people with whom I can make a difference. Right. And so that's really, you know, and that's part of the process, understanding our purpose in life. And as we understand our own purpose in life, we understand that everybody else has a purpose in life as well. Like there's nothing special about me that's that's any different than anybody else, right? So we're all different and unique, but I have a purpose in my life, just like you have a purpose in your life and everybody else has a purpose in their lives. Yeah, I agree. And I started having these conversations with my son and my nephew when they were five and seven years old and ha carried on their whole lives. My nephew is now 40, and he still gives me the same answer he did when he was seven. I don't know what my purpose is. And I, I have this theory, and I've said it many times on this program, that the people who are walking around unfulfilled and unhappy in life, it's because they have no purpose that they've connected to. But Correct. how do they discover, like for a 40-year-old now who has been it's, asked this question his whole life, uh, what do you love to do? What what and uh, you know he he did love playing video games and all that, but never connected that to a purpose or anything. And it's like how, you can't you can't feed them a purpose; they have to discover it for themselves. How do you yes. help them discover that for themselves? Absolutely. So, so I I went to a seminar back a few years ago, and the seminar was about life purpose, and I was a hundred percent convinced that understanding our life purpose was a huge necessary part of 
my journey in my life. And so the seminar ended and I'm like, okay, I am completely sold on life purpose, but with no strategy on how to figure it out. And so I asked the presenter and I said, listen, how does one actually find his or her life purpose? What's the, what's the plan? And the answer he gave me was definitely not, it was definitely not, uh, it was definitely not a pointed answer. It was, a, it was kind of a very vague, it was pretty clear to me that he just really wasn't aware of how to do the process. You know, <laughs> he was aware of its importance, but he wasn't really aware of how to do it. And so I set myself on figuring out, okay, I'm not the only one in the history of mankind to, to ponder this. Let's see what other people have to say. What are other people doing? How does this, how does this work? And I start researching it. And honestly, I just, I just applied myself to it for the course of, you know, maybe about a month or two months. <clears throat> this was during COVID. So, you know, I'm 51 right now. So I was what, 48, 49 years old at the time and applying myself to try to figure out how does one figure out his or her life purpose. And I came up with a set of questions and a strategy that I feel like are very valuable in the process of figuring out one's life purpose. I went through the process myself after I kind of you know, formulated this thing over the course of this time. Uh, and it took me about two weeks of time of journaling every day on a set of questions. And, um, and by the end of it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so clear. Like it's so much more clear what my purpose is in life. Um, and it made so much more things in my life clear as to things that were really motivating to me and things that were not motivating to me. Um, so there is a, there is multiple ways of, for people to help you or help anybody to figure out their life purpose. One of the things that I think that we are responsible for as parents, as teachers, as educators, as adults in our community is providing um, a diverse experience for our young people, right? So if my kid has just played video games all day, every day, and all he knows is I go to school, I come home, I play video games, maybe I do a couple of chores around the house, and that's it. Asking that person to understand his life purpose, he really hasn't had a taste of things to understand who am I really? You know, what am I passionate about? What what am I good at? So in 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 simple, right? To give you kind of a real quick, simple answer to finding your life purpose. I want you to uh, I want you to envision a Venn diagram with three circles that all intersect in the middle. Okay, and one of those circles is what you're good at, because your life purpose is not going to be something that you're not going to be able to be good at. So, what can you do better than ninety percent of the population? Right. So, what are you really, really good at? Because I really don't want you helping me with something that you're mediocre at. Right. I want you to help me with stuff that's your area of expertise. Right. So that's one thing. Number two is what are you really passionate about? What do you enjoy? What is fun for you? Like what types of things could you do and be like, you know what, if I did this all day, every day, it really wouldn't be work. I love doing this. I'm good at it and I love doing it. Right. So now you're, you got your circle for what you're better than 90% of the population and your circle of the things that you really love, the intersection of those two circles is stuff that you're really good at and you really love to do. And then the last piece on the bottom is a circle for what do the, what does the world really need? Okay. If you're good at it 
and you're passionate about it and people need it, the intersection of those three things is your purpose. Okay. Wow. And so there's a process to help people kind of narrow that down and focus in on that. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, I don't want, I don't want the mechanic that fixes my car to be an expert in astronomy, biology, calculus, physics. I just want them to be an expert in my car. You can have a hobby for whatever you want. You could do whatever you want. You could be an expert in whatever you want. I'm totally fine with that. But just be an expert in, in fixing my car. Uh, when I had people do work on my house, I remember this one guy, when he was talking about doing some work on my house, like he was, he was building some brickwork on the outside, building a brick patio. His eyes lit up. He was passionate about creating basically it wasn't just creating patios it was artwork with bricks and when i saw how passionate he was about doing this job and i saw the work that he's done before i saw pictures of of his past work and i'm like wow this stuff is really beautiful why would i want to go to anybody else the right. guy was good at what he did he was super passionate about it and that's what i needed bing life purpose I love spot. seeing people who love the work they do, but I just want to not not disagree with you, but I just want to uh, state my opinion that the idea that <clears throat> if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I think that's misleading to a lot of people because I've done what I love to do, but it still requires work. It, it, it's not all fun and games and you won't, even if you follow your purpose, connect with your purpose and follow what it is you were meant to do. At some point, you're going to find something that feels like work because nothing, there's nothing you can do in this life that is going to let you make a living from it. That doesn't require some personal sacrifice along the way and things that don't, that you don't want to do when they do feel a little bit like work. So I, I just feel like if we, we just tell people that, you know, if, do, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. That can be a little misleading because when, when you do come across, oh, this feels like work, <laughs> that's like uh, just not why I got into it. And then people end up giving up on something that was really productive for them. Do you disagree with that? You're absolutely correct with that. And that is, you know, any job. So for example, when I'm, when I'm speaking to people, if I can help people change their lives and, you know, people give me the response back, like, listen, I, what, what we learned in work today, I'm using it at home and it's making my marriage better. My family is doing better. My life is better. My health is better. Um, I love that stuff and I feed off of it. And when I'm in front of people and I'm talking to them and we're, and we're just hashing out life to, to kind of help them to be empowered, to, to be better versions of themselves. I feel like I'm on fire. Like I'm on cloud nine. It's awesome. Um, but then I have to get back to, I have to sell new clients. I have to write up bills. I have to write up, uh, notes and stuff like that. I have a whole bunch of work that's work that I just don't like doing. And I'm pretty sure that every job everywhere, no matter how much you love certain aspects of it, there's always going to be aspects of it that are painful, irritating, annoying, frustrating, the work part, then the annoying work part. So it is, you know, part of my job is helping people to understand both those aspects. Don't ignore the part that you dislike because you're so infatuated with the part that you love, um, because you've got, you're not going to be able to do the work that you love if you don't do the work that you don't love. Right. Um, some people connect with their purpose at a very young age. And 
this is a kind of a complicated question again, but so I, I had a 13 year old author on the program who had already authored seven novels and some of 850 page novels and really uh, adult sounding work like this, this young lady had it all together. And I was extremely jealous of her and a little bit intimidated by her. But, and, but I presented that episode to a bunch of people and they said, well, her parents must be like really strict. But what I, in talking to her, you know, the, uh, the laying of gratification and stuff like play, I, I said, how do you, cause she said she writes a thousand words a day when she gets home from school. That's her, her habit that she's forming. I said, how did you do that? She said, I decided to put off playing video games and having snacks until I'm done with my thousand words a day. Her parents didn't put that on her. She put that on herself. So part of that is, you know, this idea of, uh, you know, sometimes kids are just born with uh, with knowing what they want to do with their lives and all that. But from the outside, and this is the question I really have, from outside looking in, from us seeing that, it's easy to judge and say, I don't have that. I she's got she was born with something special. That's not me. Uh, I'm I must be a loser. <laughs> that whole we judge ourselves and and discourage ourselves based on what we see other people doing. And like the world is a competition. Uh, young people deal with that more than than my generation did or not. Um, I think you know with social media, it's you might as well just you know it's like social media is replacing what you know, maybe TV was back when we were younger. Um, but you see, you know, like leave it to beaver lifestyle. Like everything just seems to be going well at the end of the day, everybody's happy and everything worked out well and stuff like that. Right. And so, you know, you have various social media platforms where people post their best stuff. Oh, here I am on vacation. Here I am smiling. Here I am with a new car. Here I am with new, this, new, that. And we just highlight the best parts of our lives and we post it up on social media. And so then all the rest of us look at social media and go like, oh my gosh, look at them. Look at all the great lives that everybody else has. Oh, look at them. They're happy with their kids. You know, like, uh, you know, this past Christmas, I'm seeing all these families wearing uh, matching pajamas. I'm like, you know, it's tough enough for me to get all my kids to just <laughs> smile and look at the camera for a picture. And you get your whole family all dressed in goofy looking pajamas and they all line up for pictures and smile and stuff. So, but we can easily judge ourselves by the pictures and the little videos and the little snippets of people's lives that we see. That doesn't even make up 1% of that person's life. Um, so yeah, we do need a reality check and understand that, listen, we're all in the same boat. It's you know, everyone's got their struggles. If you have a lot, you, you use a lot. If you don't have as much, use what you got. Use what you got. Do what you can do. You can't do what you can't do. You can only do what you can do. Do what you can do. Use your talents. Use your gifts. Make the world a little bit of a better place. If we all pull together and make one little bit of progress forward, the whole world becomes a better place. So, right. and if not, look, you know, you've heard the story with the kid with the starfish, right? Kid goes on the beach. There's all these starfish that wash up on the beach. The sun's out. The tide's going out. You know, pretty soon these starfish are going to bake and they're going to die on the beach. So the kid's taking them. He's tossing them in the water, tossing them in the water, tossing them in the water. And some, some, some dude, probably like one of our, your age, my age, walks up and says, hey, kid, listen, you just can't make a difference. Look at these starfish. There's thousands of them. You can't make any difference. And the kid's holding a starfish in his hand. He goes, 
makes a difference this one and tosses it in the ocean, you know? So listen, if that's me, that's fine. If I got That's me and you take, tonight. That yeah. I I'm the old man and you're the young kid with the stuff. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. And I, again, this is why I thought it, it's important to share your message. I appreciate your optimism. And I, so few people really try to make a, a positive difference in the world. That I, when I run across people who do, I want to share them with my audience, share them with whatever, whatever, you know. And I wish you well in all this. I really do. I, I hope you, you succeed in it. Um, Thank you. I, with purpose, now, I have no filter uh, in telling people when I think they're wrong. And uh, maybe I should be more political about that, but I don't. But I had one young man on the show. He basically, he wrote me a letter saying that he was the victim of a gay bashing in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he wanted to come on and talk about his gay bashing. And he was beat up before being part of a gay pride parade or whatever. And I said, okay, we can talk about that. I was curious why the people who beat him up never faced any charges or any of that stuff. But when I had him, I was about to introduce him, and he was in the window that you're in now. And I noticed he had his back to me while I was introducing him. And I said, welcome to the program. And he did this big spin around. He had this jacket on. He had Evan the Entertainer written on his shirt. And and I said, what's that all about? He said, I just got to get famous before in the next year and this was several years ago he said i gotta get on ellen and i was like i said wait a minute first of all you're on the program under false pretenses this was supposed to be about an attack you were in and you're using me now for but it was the most important thing for him to find fame and be famous and i said for what and this comes back to your uh thing about before about the bottom circle about what does the world need and i said you know you you want to be famous for what what value do, uh, do you want to add to the world fame in and of itself is not something to be it's a byproduct of adding value to the world if if, it, if it's just fame for the, the sake of fame it's empty and you're not going to be fulfilled man did that get hate hate mail but that comes back to the idea that uh, society is teaching the wrong values to young people and how do we as adults say that message in a less uh, abrasive way than i put it to that young man is saying that you know what if you don't care about adding value to the world i don't care what you get famous for you're you're not a you're not living a good life right how do you how do how would you say that to a young person so you know i think that um and I could be wrong. I believe it was Jim Carrey who said, I wish everybody could be rich and famous so that they can understand that it's not what it's all about. You know, I might be wrong. It might be misquoted. Somebody can chat me and let me know that, uh, you know, what the real quote was from the real person. But uh, I think that's kind of along the lines. There's, there's a lot of focus that we have on being happy, on getting rich. There's a lot of focus on me, me, me. And I think it's from a lack of security, a lack of safety, a lack of um, confidence. You know, if I have to, if I have to advocate for myself so much, there's clearly something missing in my life. <clears throat> I think when people start getting a taste of showing kindness to others, making the world a better place, doing something for others. I think they'll 
I think they'll like it, right? So if it's every addictive. it is, it is a, it's very addictive. Yeah. So you know, think about this scenario. Let's say, let's say every Friday you go to Carvel ice cream, or not to mention any, let's not mention any names because we're not we're not getting paid for a Carvel. But let's say every Friday you go out and you get an ice cream cone, you eat the ice cream cone, you're like, you know what? This is really what life's about. Look, this is so delicious. I got my sprinkles. I got some caramel on here. This is so delicious. This is so good, right? <laughs> So, and every day, like every Friday, you're going to eat this ice cream, ice cream cone, ice cream sundae, whatever it is. And um, I, you can tell I kind of like ice cream, right? So, Me too. <laughs> I, I was laughing because I thought you were spying on me because I used to, Carvel was my big thing. It ruined relationships for me. I had a girlfriend who used to say, most husbands, uh, I was living with her at the time, she called me a husband, but we weren't married. She said, most husbands, wives check for a lipstick on the collar. For you, I got to check for sprinkles on your collar. <laughs> so let's say, let's say every Friday you go and you're having this ice cream sundae and you're like, wow, this is really what life is about. And then, you know, and then you buy this ice cream sundae and before you get a chance to eat it, you see some kid out there and you know, the kid is, you know, he just doesn't have the money. He just, he, he may never have ice cream. So, you know, he's like, you know what? Here you go, kid. Here's this ice cream. And you give your ice cream to the kid. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? Eating ice cream wasn't all it isn't, isn't what it was all about. Giving ice cream away is really what it's all about. That, that feeling of fulfillment. Hey, I made the world a better place. I, I, I shine some light into somebody else's life is so much more fulfilling than shining a light in my own life. You know, yeah. getting somebody else an ice cream is so much more fulfilling than me eating my own ice cream. I don't, I don't like ice cream, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, I agree with, with with what you said. Now, I, I talk, and it could be virtual sig virtue signaling, which I don't like to, to be accused of, but I've talked about some of the things I've done just in passing on my morning show, and some people accuse me. Uh, w one day we're going to find out this is all court-ordered community service <laughs> or something. <laughs> uh, but it is – it's very gratifying to know that that you can make a difference. And this is what you're trying to do, and I applaud you uh, for doing it. I hope you're successful in it. Uh, but it is also a huge undertaking. And in our lives, our, our time is so limited. Our, our lives are so short. Um, what you're doing is 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 trying to make a better world for the future. Again, this is a personal thing for you, but how do you stay motivated to make those changes, knowing that you're not really going to see worldwide change? You're not going to see the big change in your lifetime. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, so yeah. <laughs> no, but it's okay. true. You're not going to see the global effect that you would love to see. In right. your lifetime, right? But you know what? I'm not the only one who's. Uh, I'm not the only one who has these ideas. You know, I didn't invent these things. You know, I learned them from someone else. As a matter of fact, you know, a lot of the information I get, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very shocked. I've started reading about uh, Stoicism and the Stoics and stuff like that, and and I'm shocked that like this content, th these ideas have been around for thousands of years, and just laying dormant. And kind of recently, there's like a resurgence in people. Uh, reading from the Stoics and, uh, you know, reading Marcus Aurelius and stuff like that. So, um, but it's, you know, it's for me to fulfill my purpose and the results are not in my hands. If I don't see them, you know, I, I have to detach myself from any kind of reward 
for doing it. I do it because it's my purpose. I do it because I get fulfilled in doing it. Um, in my day, I might see that the majority of the population hates me for it, hates what I do, you know, and completely rejects it. I, I'm still going to push forward and see, you know, until until I'm done. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, I, I don't think that that's uh, any a realistic worry. I don't think the world. I think if anything, people will will feel like what's the what's the point? <laughs> but nobody, I, I can't imagine anybody hating hating you for it. But you know, you there's can't a lot imagine of people hating uh, you know Martin Luther King either, right? So yeah, right. You know, or Jesus or Gandhi, right? So, but right. all these people, uh, Abraham Lincoln, every you know, strong right. ideals trying to make a difference in the world, end up getting martyred. Not that I'm going to be a martyr. I don't think that. Right. No, I hope not. Uh, but I do appreciate what you're doing now. Uh, uh, BoChampTeam.com is where people uh, can find out more about you and the things you offer. Now, the uh, program that you're putting together, uh, What Matters Most for Schools, when uh, when does that start and, and how does that start? So I have a team of people right now working on curriculum for students and uh, curriculum um, or, or training materials for educators. Uh, so it's going to end up being workbooks that students can use, plus video and PowerPoint presentations for the class, plus teachers' manuals, uh, professional development for teachers, professional development for administrators. Um, we're in the we're in the creation phase right now. So if people are interested in it, they should definitely contact me. Um, I'm interested in finding people who who have skill and talent in these areas that we can collaborate together and work on this project. Like I said, I already have a team of people that are working on it, but I could use more. If people are interested in trying these out in their local schools, I definitely need um, I definitely need students or teachers or administrators who are willing to give it a shot, give some of the lessons a shot in their classrooms, and let's get the feedback and let's tweak the program. Um, so we're really at the very early stage of the development right now. Um, the team, you know, there's a team of people together. We're creating curriculum. Um, we're coming, we're, we're putting the ideas together, the, the basic, uh, skeleton of, of what the concepts are is, is already in place. Um, it's just a matter of filling it in so that it's a usable, easy to deliver, um, package for somebody to say, you know what, I want to implement this into my high school, my middle school, my elementary school. Um, how do we do it? What do we need to do? And be able to just roll it out and be able to say, hey, listen, we've tried this before and it's worked and this is how it works. Yeah. And I hope I again, I, I've said this many times, but I, I, I wish you great success with it. And I hope people hearing this message will do what they can to, you know, you go to a PTA meeting, say, you know, I heard this guy talking about this thing the other night on a podcast. Uh, maybe it's worth looking into people out there. You know what? Um, maybe we can make a difference if enough people get on board. Right. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I do appreciate you being here tonight. And when it finally is ready to launch, please come back and we'll we'll help uh, promote it when you're ready, when you're actually ready to launch it. But I think planting the seeds now was a good thing. And I think we this was an hour uh, well spent. And hopefully uh, somebody will hear this message and take it forward and, and pay it forward, as they say. So thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Matt. And uh, listen, you are doing your part. You're making a difference in the, in the world of the people that listen to you, tune into your programming and uh, people like me, um, you are making a difference. So I appreciate you. You're doing, you're doing your part. Thank you. Uh, you be well. I'll see you next Monday. You got it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> bye for now. Joe Bochamp, folks. Uh, 
You know, people have told me that I'm making a difference. I don't feel like it. And I, I know, listen, I'm a self-defeatist. What can I say? Uh, I, don't, I don't feel like it because I don't see it. And that's, you know, this is part of, I, I appreciate his stick-to-itness of it. I mean, really, uh, because for me, I need to see that I'm making, you know, progress. And it, it, this is a, a a long haul pro uh, project uh, of uh, changing the culture we live in. Just want to say briefly a little political thing here, and it's not too political, but in China, I don't know if people know this, TikTok, because in this country, TikTok is all about escapism. It's all about stupid jokes and dancing and, and lip syncing to other people's music. In China, where TikTok comes from, their young people don't access the same TikTok that we do. They young people are accessing lessons like this, and they have psychology and uh, math and science, basically some literature too, on their TikTok. And that's I don't. I'm not a, an expert on Chinese culture, but I I have an idea that their young people are probably open to these kind of ideas because their social media is limited and somewhat censored for young people. And when I, and again, I hate to be too political here, but when I was a young person, movies were rated and you could not go to an R rated movie if you were 12 years old, unless you were accompanied by a parent or whatever. But I think that was a good thing in order to limit social media use. Maybe I'm um, proposing something that is too much for people, but I do think, uh, limiting what young people see on social media. Maybe not a bad thing for society. Love to hear your thoughts about it. Write to me at info at minddogtv.com, info at minddogtv.com. Tomorrow night, the first official <laughs> Wednesday night of, of the year, I will be talking to a plastic surgeon. Uh, plastic surgery, that's a whole other topic uh, for me that, I feel like it has a purpose for people who have been scarred, but I'm a kind of person, and this is probably going to get me some hate mail when we talk about it tomorrow night, that I believe you should embrace the person you are. And Because I've never met anybody who's gotten into plastic surgery who ended up happy with themselves. It always leads to more. It's an addictive behavior. Anyway, uh glad you came here tonight. Check out Joe's site at bochampsteam.com and let me know what you think. And uh, that's the show for tonight, folks. Thanks for coming. Have a great rest of your night. And uh, bye for now.
me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. 